everyone, this is Sarah with Corn Fed Witch here to talk about general witchy goodness and beginning magic stuff and all the sorts of magical things you can think and want to learn about. This is mostly geared to a beginning audience, but if you're an advanced practitioner, it may be good to review and to refresh yourself. So, today, Mark, since we have already covered how to cast a circle, today marks the beginning of my magical tool series. Now, there are thousands, well, I wouldn't say, well, maybe thousands, I wouldn't say thousands of different, well, it's probably more like hundreds. <coughs> so, but I'm going to focus on the four main ones that I use in my practice. Um, which are going to be the athame, the wand, the chalice, and the pentacle. Each of these corresponds with one of the four elements. So, without further ado, I am going to introduce you to the athame. So this is probably the most well-known, aside from the pentacle. It is associated with the, the element of fire. And it's a dagger, basically. So, I'm going to go ahead and bring up my information here. So you probably have seen this in some sort of pop culture where someone casts a circle with a dagger. This is what they're using. So just a brief background. It's a ceremonial blade, generally with a black handle. It is the main ritual implement or magical tool among several used in ceremonial magic traditions and by other neo-pagans, witchcraft, as well as satanic traditions. The black handle knife called an called an Arthame, appears in certain versions of King of Solomon, a grimoire originated in the Middle Ages. Now, I'm taking this from Wikipedia because I just want to briefly introduce you to it to get you familiar and to get you up and running, basically. So, the proper use of the tool was started by the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, which is pretty important, and I may go into them in a future episode. The last podcast in the left does talk about them quite a bit in some of their episodes. In the early so the proper use of the tool was started by the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn in the early 20th century for the use of banishing rituals. The tool was later adopted by Wiccans, Thelemites, and Satanists. The Athame is also mentioned in the writings of Gerald Gardner in the 1950s, who claimed to have been initiated into a surviving tradition of witchcraft, the New Forest Coven. The athame was their most important ritual tool with many uses, but was not to be used for actual physical cutting. There has been speculation that Gardner's interest in expertise in antiques, antique, antique swords and knives, and in particular the Chris knives in Malaysia and India, may have contributed to the tool's central importance in modern Wicca. On the other hand, the athame stands as one of the four elemental tools in modern occultism, Traditionally standing for fire, for witches, and air, for ceremonial magicians. For the known origins of Wicca with Gardner's own Book of Shadows, 
Well, let's see. Mm, I don't know if that's right. So the other three elemental tools, which I mentioned before, are the wand and the pentacle and the cup of cup or chalice. These four magical tools correspond to four weapons of significance in Celtic myth. The sword, the spear, the shield, and the cauldron, and or grail. The same four ritual tools also appear in the magical practices of the Western Hermetic tradition, derived from the Golden Dawn, who pioneered the modern occult tradition and New Age spirituality, and they appear in tarot decks as a force, card suits, swords, cups, wands, and pentacles. The athame is an elemental tool, while the sword is often a tool representing power, used to keep, being, used to keep spirits in check during Goetic evocation. Wiccans sometimes use the sword as a substitute for the athame. So if you don't have an athame and you happen to have a sword just laying around, that will work. Go ahead and use it. Now, typically, it has dual blades, although that's not a requirement if that does not feel right to you. I know someone who has used a steak knife as an athame. And I've known multiple people who have used different colored athames. Whereas traditionally, they are black-handled. Mine, personally, is black-handled and is double-edged with, like, the triple moon symbol and all that. Some traditions carve into the, the handle, and some don't. Depending on what tradition that you have, you may have special rules for consecrating your athame, for using it, etc. What... Let's read on here. Do, do, do. All right. Nathamay can take many forms. Contra contrary to the popular belief, Nathamays are not required to have double-edged blades, which is what I just said. Contemporary magical practitioners often choose a double-edged blade since this carries symbolic meaning. And some witches will choose a single blade athame and use a straight edge to ring the bell for rituals. The handle of the athame is usually black and is required in most covens in which practice some variant of tradition. The handle may be inscribed with, boy, oh, I just mentioned all this. Do, do, do. Um, Janet and Stuart Farrar in a witch's Bible do suggest that the point of an athame be dulled so as to prevent unintended physical harm during ritual use. So a lot of times you can hold it to your chest or point it down or keep it sheathed if you're just milling about so that you don't hurt someone because these are weapons. And once you've gotten blood on the athame, you have to reconsecrate it. Also, it is very important that you don't allow others to touch your athame without your permission. This can interfere with the bond between the the athame and the witch. So, and then the witch has to go through all the trouble reconsecrating it and purifying and all that shit. It's it's an inconvenience, and I've had to do it a few times with some of my other tools. I really haven't had my athame for very long. It took me a long time to get it. I actually had a custom made by Omega Artworks. They do fantastic work. They're kind of pricey, but 
they're amazing. It's worth the price that I paid for this. So it took them about six months to get to my athame to make it. And then it took me about six months or so. Well, not quite six months. Probably more about five, four or five on making payments to pay it off. But they're great and they're worth it if you want to go into one to get your own athame custom made. Now, I mentioned that my friend has used a steak knife. You can also use a butter knife. A regular like pocket knife. I used a pair of scissors once. It was like steel, like iron scissors, I think. I've used lots of things. And if you don't have an athme, you can always use your fingers too. You could also use your wand, but I'll go into that. Alright. So moving on. So the athame is an element of fire. It's pretty important in ritual use. And it's the first of the tools that you will learn about, or that you have learned about. And it's pretty great. I suggest you go to your New Age store and buy one, or you go to Etsy, or uh, Amazon. I kind I kind of don't really... I use, I use Amazon, but it's really problematic. Or you can have one handed down to you. Well, there you have it. You have a good, well, hopefully a good understanding of Athame and how to use it. I don't think I mentioned that you use it to cast circles. You do. You use it to cast circles and call quarters and to draw the pentacle when you're calling quarters if you do it that way but it's super good in casting circles so moving on to our correspondences of the week and so i wanted to stay with the element of fire so the stone i picked out is called bloodstone and i'm getting this information from crystalvaults.com which is an encyclopedia of of crystals let me get a drink of my sparkling water here. Alright. Excuse me. In the ancient world, bloodstone, also known as heliotrope, was considered to be the most beautiful of the jaspers. A deep earthy green gem emboldened with spots of bright red, called the sunstone and later Christstone. Its energy carries the purity of blood and inherently speaks of life and birth, vitality, vitality and strength, passion and courage. Now, the talisman is both mystical and magical, and its virtues are protective and nurturing. The most widely known legend of this stone comes from the Middle Ages and claims the bloodstone was formed at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, when the blood of his wounds fell upon the dark green earth and turned to stone. Another version declares the blood of Christ, which flows from the fatal spear thrust, fell upon a green jasper lying at the foot of the cross, and from this sprang the bloodstone variety of jasper. Today, as then, bloodstone is regarded as a gem of noble sacrifice and can offer courage and sol solace to all who are called to give of themselves for the good of the others. It lists the highest, most altruistic character of those who wear or carry it. The bloodstone, however... 
was treasured long before the time of Christ, known as antiquity, in antiquity of Heli, as heliotrope, the sunstone. From the Greek helios meaning sun and trapean to attract. Heliotrope signifying sun turning and legends were attributed to the stone for the belief that when placed in the rays of the setting sun or immersed in water, it turned the reflection of the sun to blood red. It's used for healing and its connection to blood and detoxification of the organs dates back 5,000 years in Mesopotamia. In many cultures, heliotrope was dipped in cold water and placed on the body to aid circulation and transfer the power of the sun to prevent injury or disease, stop the flow of blood, or cure any wound. Its coagulant effect was renowned, and for this reason, ancient warriors always often carried heliotrope as an amulet of protection and courage, as well as its practical applications. Brown, powdered, and mixed with honey, it was used to cure tumors, drought, snake venom, and staunch hemorrhages. It was said to clear a putrefaction of abscesses in a day, and simply looking at the bloodstone was believed to prevent eye diseases. Bloodstone was tre treasured not only as a talisman of good health and long life, but was reputed to bring its owner respect, good fortune, riches, and fame. It protected one from deception, helped overcome enemies in battle, and secured victory in court and legal matters. It was also believed to have magical properties with the ability to control the weather by averting lighting or lightning, conjuring storms, or summoning rain. Bloodstone conferred the gift of prophecy as an audible or oracle that gave off sound as a means of guidance or to warn of danger and could direct spiritual energies to banish negativity and evil. Bloodstone may be classified as a jasper or chalcedony version or variety of quartz and is usually a combination of the two. It is typically defined as a dark green chalcedony with blood-like spots of red jasper or iron icon. Iron oxide inclusions. It occurs as massive formations ranging from dark green to greenish blue or greenish black. It may be translucent to opaque with a waxy resinous luster. In addition to the spots and streaks of red jasper, some formations contain inclusions that are yellow or white. While others lacking inclusions may be entirely green. Bloodstone has been referred to as blood jasper, and specimens with only yellow inclusions have been called plasma. In the ancient world, it was considered to be a semi-precious stone or gem. It was used extensively as signet seals and in jewelry, as well as being carved into decorative cups, small vases, and statuettes. Its uses and purposes. Wear or carry bloodstone is the amulet of protection against threats or bullying, whether verbal or physical and for guidance to withdraw when appropriate and the courage to confront when needed. Sew a small bloodstone in the coat of a child or teenager who is being bullied. Carry one for strength when adjusting to new circumstances. Wear or carry bloodstone to increase mental clarity and to aid in decision making. It provides a mental boost when motivation is lacking and can revitalize the mind and body if you are exhausted. Bloodstone stimulates dreaming and heightens intuition. It is marvelous for increasing creativity and cultivating a project from the idea stage through to actualization and encourages blessings and prosperity. Bloodstone is a nurturing mother goddess stone, hoping in easy misunderstandings or difficulties with mothers or mothering issues. It also assists with human and animal mothers in the bonding process after a traumatic birth or one where mother and baby were separated for a time. Working with bloodstone invigorates the system 
boosting energy levels and increasing endurance and physical activity. It is beneficial for everyone from athletes who, in, oh, that's not an appropriate word, to people who are ill. For steady vibration, purification, and well-being. Use as a good luck charm for sports competitions or matches. An excellent stimulator of the immune system. Use bloodstone to ward off colds, flu, infections, and inflammation. It is also a remarkable aid for revitalizing and re-energizing the body after illness, injury, or physical exhaustion. Bloodstone's magical properties allow one to draw upon the power of the weather for personal healings, just tap into the winds to bring change or the rain to wash away sorrow. So there you have information about bloodstone. And now I'm going to move to the herb I picked for today, which is also a fire herb. You may be, you may have heard of this before, maybe not in a magical sense, unless you follow conjurer, but it's tobacco. Most of us are probably, and this, this is coming from originalbotanica.com as a source. I wanted to divert, go away from Scott Cunningham for a bit, well, for this week at least. I was just one more variety of sources because I am trying to make things more accessible to the newbies. And a lot of this stuff is online. So most of us are probably used to tobacco in a recreational sense, but it has a long history of use for magic. In different traditions, it is treated as everything from a sacrament to a potent banishing or hexing herb. To a herb, I am saying herb, I used to say herbs, for placating spirits to a tool for dominating your rivals. Tobacco for banishing. Even though tobacco is native to the Americas, is often found in European witchcraft as well as conjure and root work. In European magical traditions, it is usually seen as an herb for banishing negative influences or people. In spells and recipes that call for poisonous herbs, tobacco is often used as a safer and easier to obtain substitute. It is also used to obtain peace by keeping away the forces that are disrupting things to begin with, without having to break out the monkshood. Remember, or rather than cleansing the space with poisonous herbs, when you need some heavy protection, consider using some tobacco bath and floor wash or burning a black tobacco candle. Tobacco for court cases. When mixed with salt and burned on a black candle, tobacco can help sway a court case in your favor. You can also anoint a black candle with a mixture of salt and tobacco oil instead. You can also combine sugar, chewing john, and tobacco. Put the mixer in a red mojo bag, recite the 37th psalm over it, and carry it with you when you go to court. For luck, depth on some tobacco cologne before entering the courthouse. If you have a case to dismiss, mix together mustard and poppy seeds and a bit of tobacco. Keep some of this in your pockets when you go to court, and it will help confuse the prosecution. Oh, this is to have a case dismissed. Tobacco for spirits. Many spirits love the smoke of tobacco to summon a spirit dwelling in a place and cause it to manifest. Burn some tobacco on charcoal or tobacco incense. Present the smoke as an offering and spirits will arrive to claim it. To placate a spirit or ask for its help, offer high quality cigars and liquor. Everyone loves that. 
Some deities also enjoy receiving cigars and good quality liquor. Place two cigars and a cup of liquor at a crossroads and ask the spirit of the crossroads to help in learning new skills and magic. You can also request their aid against their, your enemies. For this, you will need to go into a graveyard and petition the dead for aid. Flip a black candle by turning it over and digging out the wick from the bottom with a knife. Then lighting the bottom wick. Burn this candle over a photo of your foe or their name written on a piece of paper. Around this, burn tobacco, incense, and powdered sulfur. Tobacco for domination. Adding tobacco to any herb mixture for control or domination will amplify its effects. Though it is used as an herb for banishing, it is equally good at attracting or compelling when used with the proper intent. Anointing a photo or name paper with tobacco oil and placing it by your phone can compel someone to call you. While placing it in your mailbox can make them write to you. Chewing tobacco and spitting it where your target will walk. Then making the sign of the cross and saying that you wish to do them what you wish them to do can bend them to your will. Now, I mean, in certain circumstances, that's appropriate. Tobacco is a powerful sacred herb that should be treated with respect. Using tobacco products in your rituals, coupled with your focus and intent, can help you do everything from banishing to dominating. Try incorporating it into your spells and see how well it works for you. So there we have tobacco. And now we're moving on to our relatively new segment, our tarot card of the week or tarot card of the day or what have you. So I'm going with the third major arcana card. We did the fool and the magician. Now we're doing the high priestess. And I'm getting my information from biddytarot.com. So some key words. For upright was the high priestess is intuition or I'm sorry the words are intuition sacred knowledge divine feminine the subconscious mind reversed secrets disconnected from intuition withdrawal and silence high priestess description the high priestess sits in front of a thin veil decorated with pomegranates the veil represents a separate conscious and subconscious subconscious realms, the seen and the unseen, and serves to keep casual unlockers out. Only the initiated may enter. The pomegranates on the veil are a symbol of abundance, fertility, and a divine feminine. They are sacred to Persephone, who ate a pomegranate seed in the underworld and was forced to return every year. On either side of the high priestess stand Two pillars marking the entrance to the sacred mystical temple, also should it associate with the Temple of Solomon. One pillar is black with the letter B, Boaz, meaning in his strength. Another is white with the letter J, shocking, I, I'm mispronouncing that, meaning he will establish. The black and white colors of the pillars symbolize duality, masculine and feminine, darkness and light, stating that knowledge and acceptance of duality are required to enter this sacred space. The high priestess wears a blue robe with a cross on her chest and a horn diadem or crown, both a symbol of her divine knowledge and her status as a divine ruler. In her lap, she holds a scroll with the letter Torah, signifying the greater law according to A.E. White. White it is partly covered, signifying the, that this sacred knowledge 
is both explicit and implicit and will be revealed when when the student is ready to look beyond the material realm. The crescent moon at her feet symbolizes her connection with the divine feminine, her intuition and subconscious mind, and the natural cycles of the moon. And the reverse, which I don't read, the, the keywords for that situation, for reverse high priestess are secrets, disconnected from intuition, withdrawal, and silence. So an upright high priestess, while the magician is a guardian of the conscious mind in the tangible world, the high priestess is a guardian of the subconscious mind and the teacher of sacred knowledge and hidden mysteries. Sitting at the threshold of the conscious and subconscious mind, the high priestess has an innate ability to travel between these realms effortlessly. She teaches you that the world is not always as it seems, and more profound influences are often at play. She ushers you through the thin veil of awareness, offering you a deep, intuitive understanding of the universe and a heightened awareness of secret or hidden information. The High Priestess signifies spiritual enlightenment, inner illumination, divine knowledge, and wisdom. She shows up in your tarot readings when the veil between you and the underworld is thin, and you have the opportunity to access knowledge deep within your soul. So tune into it. And you'll into your innate knowledge, and you'll know the answer. Do do do. Basically, trust your in instincts, and it is a signal. The high priestess is a signal for that you're being called to embrace the divine feminine, which is your connection to your intuition or compassion, or traditionally quote unquote feminine traits, and regardless of your gender. It is vital for you to balance and integrate your masculine and feminine energies. And the presence of the high priestess signals signifies that your sacred feminine needs your attention right now. Rather than feel, rather than think, collaborate, rather than compete, com create, rather than destroy, trust your divine feminine energy, even if the masculine energy around you may appear to be stronger. Be proud of your ability to nurture, trust, sense, and empathize instead of hiding it away. Now, reversed High Priestess is basically telling you to be still and direct your attention inward to listen to your innate knowledge. You may be you may be swayed by other people's opinions or swept up in their drama. Then, what you when you really you need to focus on yourself. Trust yourself and have faith in the universe that everything will be will. Be okay. Think of the high priestess as a calm center inside of you that is untouched by your external world and trust that she is always there when you need her. When you worry that things are just getting too crazy, find a quiet space and meditate so you can hear her voice. If you stop thinking or fretting about your issue and instead clear the way for your intuition to speak to you, the answer will follow. And finally, the secretive nature of the high priestess may suggest gossip and hidden agendas. Others may be keeping information from you or talking about you behind your back and sharing mistruths. Rather than making assumptions or diving into the depths of paranormal, paranoia, have an open and honest conversation to the surface and address these secrets. Now, so basically, trust yourself and embrace your inner femininity. Excuse me. Now, most people, well, most. All of us have feminine and masculine inside 
of them. Each one may be more prevalent than other. And I'm hoping to do some interviews with some of my trans friends so I can get a more accurate picture of masculine and feminine energies because I am not the person to talk on that. But it does remind me that I forgot to mention that the AFME is traditionally masculine as opposed to feminine and is used to, to bring in masculine energy. So there you have it. You have information about the athame, bloodstone, tobacco, and the high priestess. Go ahead and send me your witchy anecdotes at cornfedwitch at gmail.com. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Support my Patreon, Etsy shop, and have a great week. My name, once again, I'm Sarah, and this has been Corn Fed Witch. Blessed be.